0: Lock,
1: talk, radio. Kingway, Fox, Beard, Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Prisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife.
2: Boimler, Tendy's Dog, ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. See this cat can that Q is that enough of that? Beam me up, make it so everybody, let's go We talk about, about
3: the series You can join us live by picking up your phone now We talk about the series We're coming to you on the street now We talk about
1: the series
4: well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe with that awesome theme song. That means it's time for Trek Talking. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And with me, as usual, on my Trek Spurts, we'll start out with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric?
2: Oh man, I am having a good night. We've got uh, 75 degrees and sunny all day today. So uh, spring has sprung in Portland and I'm just uh, enjoying having the window open and uh, cool breezes blowing. And it's Trek Talking Thursday. Could uh, it's the best day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and
4: we also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles?
5: I'm doing good. As I told Jim, we're in the upper part of the roller coaster a weather for the next 10 days we're about 82 might hit 90 by saturday and 60 by monday
4: i take that i would take that in a heartbeat and we also have with us paul paul's also out in uh paul is also um also out in uh portland how you doing tonight paul paul can't hear us Hmm. Okay, well, we'll figure that out. Yep. Yeah, let me see. Paul, are you there? All right, Paul can't hear us right now. <laughs> Little technical difficulties. Anyways, guys, we have a great show planned for you guys. A welcome to the show. It's episode 401, hard to believe. Uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture's 4K Director's Cut on this episode. Uh, premiered Tuesday on Paramount Plus and boy was it spectacular and we have a lot to talk about we're going to be doing by Philo Barnhart who's an animator on the original motion picture and he's going to be sharing some stories with us and talking about what it was like working on the original film and share his thoughts on the new current version of the film so that's going to be a lot of fun but wait there's more we also have uh Louise Strange Wall who is the president, was the president of the Leonard Nimoy fan club and was also an extra in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And if you guys have been following our Facebook page, you'll see all these pictures from, from the set and wardrobe and uh, Leonard himself and DeForest Kelly and Michelle Nichols. And, and Louise is in all those pictures. Um, she was in the uh, engineering and sick bay and the whole nine yards. So she's going to be talking with us a little bit about what it was like to be involved in that first movie and be on the set as a fan. So we got a lot to talk about. It's going to be so much fun. If you're a fan of the motion picture, you definitely want to hang around. Uh, but first, what we're going to do is we're going to go through our fan shout outs, give all you guys a chance to get home. Those of you who aren't on my timeline, who might be over in California or whatever, to get home get settled, relax, and tune in. So we're going to do our fan shout-outs real quick, and then we're going to dive right in and talk with uh, Philo and Louise. So, uh, Eric, why don't you get us started with our fan shout-outs?
2: I got you right here, Jim. Uh, yeah, our very first fan shout-out goes out this week to Slavin Brozovic, uh, all the way from Croatia. So that's pretty cool. I don't know if we've gotten that many Uh, Fan shout outs from Croatia going before. So Slavin, thank you for listening to us. And uh, it's a pleasure having you aboard. Uh, We're also saying hello this week and sending out a big shout out to Asika Nujevno from Serbia. I'm pretty darn sure we've never had anybody from Serbia before. Uh, So that's interesting. We've got somebody from Croatia, somebody from Serbia. Uh, Very cool. So uh, Asika, thank you so much for listening to us. We're also saying hello this week to Gregorius Dominus from Perus, Greece. Ooh, man, I bet the weather there is really nice this time of year. That would be pretty cool. Uh, Gregorius, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we're also saying hello this week to Pavel Kostin uh, from the Czech Republic, who gives us a little Czech flag. So uh, live long and prosper to you, Pavel. So nice to have you along. And we're also saying hello this week to our top fan, Merdad Tuyszerkani from Rasht, Iran. Uh, so we've got wow, Croatia, Serbia, Greece, Czech Republic, Iran. Uh, Charles, where are you going to take us on this journey?
5: Well, I'll start off with Allison Barry Gordon from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Glenn Robinson from Indiana. Ricky Ball from Georgia. Sonia Beck from Black Forest, Germany. And Roberto Amaro from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. So a little bit in the U.S., and then I started heading to Europe and down south. Jim. Uh, I bet well, Jim didn't find anybody from New York again.
4: No, not this week. So we want to say hello and thank you to Glenn Moore, who's listening in West Yorkshire, UK. We also want to thank you to to Carrie Paul Millington, who's in Stafford, Massachusetts, a Manchester, United Kingdom. These old eyes—they confuse Manchester and Massachusetts. You know,
2: I got to make the screen.
4: <laughs> I got to make they're the screen a, a little bit bigger. There
2: you know, they're we go. just across the pond from one another. So
4: yeah, they're right around the corner. I got to make that a little bigger so I can read it. We'd also like to say thank you to Kieran Patel from Bisbane, Australia. Good eye, mate. I wonder if he if that's the dude. We'll never mm. know. Mm. We'll never Maybe. know. We did we did yeah. have
2: somebody call the podcast from Australia once. Yeah, Hopefully. it was it was so many years ago. It's starting to fade from memory at this point, man. It's, I know. Asking him to call back, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't Somebody think so to Call us, please. We don't even care who it yes. is. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter who. Just call.
4: Uh, we'd also like to say uh, hello and thank you to Kevin Bush from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and last but not least, Chuck Macy from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So thank you for listening, guys. We really, really appreciate it. We couldn't do the show without you. We are live for the next two hours. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Um, just pick up the phone and give us a call, and you can join the conversation with Star Trek The Motion Picture, the 4K Director's Edition, which just premiered on Paramount Plus on Tuesday. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to make, please give us a call. 646-668-2433 is our phone number. You can head over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper at the top of the page. Just uh, tell us where you're listening from. Every week, I pick 15 lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, that means you're going to be personally mentioned in a fan shout-out. And you want to tune into the next show to hear your name broadcast around the globe, like all those lucky listeners that we mentioned tonight. So we are going to take a very quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to have some special guests we're going to be talking with. Philo Barnhart, who was the effects animator assistant on Star Trek The Motion Picture, and Louise Strange Wall, who was an extra in Star Trek The Motion Picture and the president of the London More Fan Club, will also be with us to answer your questions, talk about Star Trek the Motion Picture and what it was like to be a fan and be on the set back in 1979. So don't touch your dial. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this quick message. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And let's see, Philo, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? How are you doing tonight? Awesome. Right. Well, you can hear me. <laughs> yeah, we can hear you fine. <laughs> okay. Very good. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about obviously Star Trek: The Motion Picture, the Director's Cut 4K edition, which just Yay. came out. And uh, I hope you had a chance to watch. Well, actually, I know you had a chance to watch it because I already talked to you today. (laughs) So I know you had a chance to watch it. I'm totally jazzed
6: that I watched it.
4: Listen, Philo, before we talk about it, though, I want to play for people that haven't seen it or maybe don't know what we're talking about. I want to play for you guys the 4K trailer. Now, granted, this is radio, so you're not going to be able to see the stunning graphics. But um, this is the trailer that was released by Paramount just to kind of put you guys in the mood. Where is it? There it is.
1: ahead, Mr. Sutton. Take us out. Mr. Spock, every minute brings that object closer to Earth. I need you. I am convinced we are inside a living machine.
7: I go to battle station,
1: sir. Insatiable curiosity.
7: Spock, you haven't changed a bit. You're just as
1: warm
4: and sociable as ever.
6: (laughs) I hope we got this one off to a good start. I hope
1: so,
4: too. Wow, I got to say, I was impressed. I loved it. Um, Louise, can you hear us? Are you online?
3: I am indeed. I'm right here.
4: Excellent. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing tonight?
3: Hi. Oh, I'm hanging in there, and I do have to make a quick correction. It happens all okay. the time. My last name's Stangy Wall, not that like not like Doctor Strange. It's like oh, <laughs> it's not, not like Doctor
4: Strange. <laughs> <laughs> no, but
3: just Louise, Louise or Weezy is fine. <laughs> it's
4: fine. So did, uh-huh. let me ask you, Louise, did you get it? Ch- I know you're having some issues out there, but did you get a chance to catch the motion picture in the 4K release? Uh,
3: I I saw part of it because of the storms that we've been having. Our um, electric up here in the mountains sometimes is intermittent. Um, I think I mentioned she in a, in a uh, in a private message that uh, we have eight APUs on everything that t- on the big TV and all our computers just because of that. But I did get to see some of it and uh, right away, as soon as the starfield came on, I noticed the sound was impeccable.
4: Yeah, I, I was, um, I was mentioning that earlier when uh, Beeger in particular, mm-hmm. we talked about this a lot mm-hmm. on the show, Jerry, Gold, mm-hmm. the, the, the soundtrack that Jerry Goldsmith came up with was, was phenomenal, and I always felt that it was Viger talking. That the sound effects or the the music was actually what Viger sounded like is what I always took it to be. But you, in this new you, edition, you mean that uh,
6: you mean that, that, in, that instrument called the beam that they used? Yes, was that actually? That bow. Was that to, <laughs> yes, Philo, was that supposed to be <laughs> Vidor?
0: <yeah>. That that, <laughs> was is, that, uh, that was that was. Uh,
6: invented by Craig Huxley, formerly Craig Hunley, who played um, in two of the original classic episodes.
0: Yeah, wow. Uh, and
6: the children shall lead them, or whatever that was called. About the the friendly angel. He was a little red-haired boy, and uh, he also played uh, Kirk's nephew. And the one with the squishy characters.
0: The <laughs> to the ceiling. Wow. <laughs> wow, and he made the jerk. Years
6: later, he, he, he's a fantastic musician. He's actually a friend of my brother's, too. They're both professional industry musicians, and he invented this thing called the beam. It's a huge piece of metal with strings on it. And uh, they would just rub other metal parts over it, and it would create that sound. And well, uh, Goldsmith heard I that, did. and he says, i got to use that."
4: Yeah. I noticed in the new version that there's more Beecher sounds than than I ever heard before. That's right. And
6: they were there, you just couldn't hear them because there wasn't time to make sure they could be heard. I mean, they opened with wet
5: prints, you know, as it was.
0: Yeah.
4: So, so Philo, mm-hmm. why don't you, tell, why don't you tell, talk a little bit about what it actually it was like to work on the motion picture and some of the scenes that, that you did that we would have seen in the movie.
6: Well, where, where we were was pretty quiet. It was a, a beach neighborhood. We were in Marina Del Rey working between three different buildings. Uh, we were known as the, the uh, art department. Uh, art department, yes, of course. Um, we were on Beach Avenue. And uh, we were right above a boathouse. Uh, a boat repair uh, shop. <laughs> so I remember smelling the brine coming up, uh, you know, from the through the floor every day. It was kind of a, an interesting thing. But uh, down the street from us was uh, the Glencoe facility and the Maxella Avenue facility. I think Maxella was probably the biggest one. And I think a lot of the models were shot in there if I remember correctly. But um, we could easily walk from building to building <clears throat> to accomplish whatever we needed to uh, to do. And um, uh, so it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was quiet. And um, we just studiously got in there very early. And, and uh, sometimes we stayed all night. We, we slept in sleeping bags towards the end. Uh, and and uh, we'd give people a break and uh, go out and work for a while. And then we'd go wake them up. And they'd, they'd come out go to work and we'd go back to sleep (laughs) it went on that way for a while but um, we did all kinds of things in the art department most of what we generated was all the electrical things that you saw in the film um, most of which were hand drawn and hand painted Uh, and also the clouds the cloud shapes and um, anything sparkly and so on so um, uh, Leslie Ecker's office was right next to mine Oh, uh, Actually, I didn't have an office. I sat out in the hallway because they didn't have room for me when I got there. <laughs> so, um, But that was fine. It was still quiet. But um, uh, Leslie did all those uh, slot gags that they used for the end when uh, Becker and Ilya combined together in a um, huge display of energy. So,
4: and, you know, I was watching uh, this with my daughter and my wife on Tuesday And my daughter, Mm -hmm. uh, she's 26, and she wasn't Mm -hmm. very impressed. She she thought, my daughter thought, like I'm sure a lot of younger people today thought, that it was all done with CGI. (laughs) And it's like, well, that's just a bunch of CGI, Dad. What's the big deal? And I said, no, (laughs) it is a big deal because it's not Mm -hmm. CGI. So why don't you talk a little bit about about that, the difference between what you do and what a CGI person would do.
6: Right, that extended to actually the computers you see in the film, too. The little screens, you know, that were on board the Enterprise and also the Klingons, a few screens and things. Um, all those graphics were generated by our department and also uh, Lee Cole's department on the Paramount Law. Uh, she did a lot of graphics for the film. And um, uh, Greg Wilsbach, who shared the room with uh, Leslie, he, he did a lot of those... Um, feature cloud graphics that the Klingons are looking at, you know, with the little representations of the ships and things and, and the Beedra firing on them, showing the light flashing. That was uh, pretty much animated on right on the camera platform It wasn't um, manipulated on drawings or anything. It was actually the shapes moving around. Um, they would just move these things around a frame at a time under the camera and um that's how we had to do it because we didn't have um computer graphics yet. In fact, most of America didn't even have home computers yet. Let alone uh, for use in the industry. So and if you could find them in industry, they were enormous, you know, they they were not at all portable like they are now. So, uh everything had to be generated and we had to make digital.
0: So, um, that was
6: a, a, mean trick, but, uh, um, yes, yeah, so all the, all the screens, uh, of course they can do a lot of the stuff that we did a lot easier now, but I think there's also something to be said for the kind of organic quality of, let's say the clouds, you know, surrounding Deidre, um, and some of those clouds were actually uh, real smoke that they dumped over the model uh, against a laser beam that was curved over the model and um, they did multiple passes on the same piece of film which is something that we did with our hand-drawn animation also so that you create depths and you create layers of things so... What the end result is, you see all these tiny little swirling clouds, you know, around this huge object. And uh, some people complain about that sequence going on a little too long, <laughs> but um, I thought it was awesome when I finally saw the this film because um, it showed the sheer size of, of this thing, and uh, uh, also they had shown the Enterprise very lovingly for several minutes the beginning of the film, and there was reason for that, because once they showed it against the V'ger later, especially that down shot of it passing over um, one of the openings, it's very, very tiny, you can almost barely see it, and uh, that stuff just looks tremendous in the new 4K version. So, oh, Yeah. I I wanted to add the only the only computers we used were for the motion control for the models, so and uh, for backwinding the film in the camera and for going back to the starting point when we had to do multiple passes. And um, once they were done with the passes, uh, they would turn the lights on in the model and do a beauty pass, and that was and they were finally done. But some of these things had had elements that, that could number in, uh, like, 40, 44 elements in one shot. <laughs> like the uh, San Francisco, um, you know, I guess you want to call it airport, uh, shuttleport, comprised of uh, at least 40 to 44 elements that had to pass through the optical printer to make one piece of film. And, um, boy, a, a, a legion of sins were hidden, or dispelled with, I should say, was the 4K um, scanning of original negatives, which was just sensational. I, I looked for those mistakes and I couldn't see them anymore. So it just it just looks tremendous.
4: So Farla, when you watch the motion picture, uh, how, how do you like? Do you feel proud of what of what they've done to to your work? Do you still see your work there, or have they? Kind of redone it all now, and it's really not your work anymore. I mean,
6: no. It, how do you feel it's about that? Work. Yeah, still your still work. Still our work. Yeah. Uh, I was assured of that back in two thousand and one when I met Dave Fine, who was the producer on the new, uh, you know, edition. Uh, he worked with Robert Wise as well as Mike uh, Matosano, and um, Darren Docterman uh, was in charge of getting the effects, you know, spruced up. Um, they did a phenomenal job. and I caught up with him in a store called Dave's Video, The Laser Place, which was located in Studio City, not far from where I worked for Don Bluth when we made uh, Secret of Men and video games. So it was kind of a happening neighborhood back then, and uh, I actually bumped into Dave, and uh, I told him that I had worked on the, the original film, and he He says, wow, um, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, as long as you didn't touch our animation, he says, oh, no, no. I know exactly what you're talking about. No, it's all there. We just added some things like, um, you know, the the Enterprise's nacelles outside the window, the officer's lounge when they're talking uh, to Spock when he's first come aboard, and uh, uh, a number of things they added. And um, you really can't tell now. It's even more seamless uh, with the 4K. So um, the only thing they added in one of our major sequences was the uh, the crystalline staircase forming uh, up to the edge of the enterprise. But that was something we we wanted to do, but we ran out of time. We just couldn't figure out how to get that to work. But it, it looks like it's traditional cell animation actually when you look at it because they start with sparkling lights that settle in and then the stairs uh, kind of cross dissolve in. So that, that was an effect we could have done, um, but we just didn't have the time. You know you know the story. <laughs> but uh, no, actually our animation took on more dimension because of, of the, uh, you know, enhancements. So um, all our little lightning bolts, that are spread out in the end are actually in the same place they always were. So it was really terrific. And of course, all the cloud, cloud layers and things that we did.
4: Harlow, were you, uh, were you a Star Trek fan going into the working on the motion picture? And did you, did you know that you were actually going to be working on a a piece of uh, cinematic history? At the time, or was it, well, you, or was it more you, like...
6: You bet your boots. You bet your boots. I was <laughs> a... <laughs> That's like all we talked about in school when I was a kid, uh, you know, in Burbank. And uh, we even had uh, James Doohan as our guest to our October festival, you know, our, our carnival at the school. And um, uh, we actually had uh, some professional actor children that we were in class with, uh, Ron... Howard and Quinn Howard, his brother, uh, both went to the elementary school I I went to. Um, And I'm digressing, I know. But, uh, no, I I was crazy about the show from the minute it started in uh, 1966. And uh, that really created a different kind of childhood for me, I can tell you. But, uh, uh, you know, it presented uh, possibilities and I. At the time, I, you know how kids are—they think they buy that stuff as real. I thought, wow, those people are really out in space. You know, little did I realized it was something that was manufactured, you know, at a studio, and that's the beauty of it. And the, the design of the show has still not really been outdated. It still looks like something futuristic even now. Uh, but of course, with a large screen, they had to, to, you know, rethink all those things. And um, they they have that interesting set where everything looks like it's molded in instead of uh, built built out. It's, it's molded uh, molded panels and things. But uh, I I thought it would be a, a more or less a hit. I was certainly very excited to work on it because that was a dream come true. Firstly, because it was Doug Trumbull who was my boss, uh, the main boss, and I uh, absolutely adored 2001 A Space Odyssey from um, the time I saw it. Um, the week it opened, my father took me to see it, and we sat in the balcony, and I thought I was flying through space. It was such an experience. But... uh, uh to be working with him and knowing that I was working on a Robert Wise film was just totally jazzing because I loved his movies as well. Uh, he has done it, or he had done, I should say, every genre you can do in movies. Uh, aside from science fiction, he'd done musicals, of course, or side stories of his, sound um, of music. Um, and he'd done horror movies like um, The Haunting. And um, just just everything you can think of, uh, you can make a movie out of. <laughs> so I was thrilled to be working with all these uh, amazing people. And, uh, I was I was in awe, but I got my work done. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, I was insanely proud of the movie when it came out, and uh, what we were able to do and. In a, in a really short time.
4: Yeah, I I, I I thoroughly enjoyed the movie myself. Eric, did you have any questions for Philo? Anything you wanted to ask about the motion picture?
2: Uh, well, I just, I, actually, you, you sort of already touched on it, and I was wondering if it was part of your work or if it was added later, but it was the, the kind of, I call it the snowflake forming staircase <laughs> or path that kind of right. makes its way mm-hmm. out to the. I noticed that right away was something that I hadn't seen before, and um, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't sure if that was something that you all had produced or if that that came later. It sounds like it came later.
6: It did. It did. It came in two thousand one, um, and, and Dave assured me that, oh no, your stuff is still in there. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, I I was amazed when I saw it uh, with the new stuff um the so the people were redone also they they were um what the enterprise was originally was a map painting. I think it was either by Rocco Giffe or matt Yuricich, one of the two of them but it was um it was you know the top of the saucer
0: mm-hmm. and they
6: they built a new c g one, which was really beautiful and um they they had to animate the people coming up out of the uh, you know the surface uh, on the elevator. And, of course, heading out on the the new bridge. So uh, it all worked really well. They didn't have to put a lot of detail in them because they were, you know, seen from far away. So uh, not unlike the, um, you remember the little people that were digitally animated on board the Titanic and the film Titanic.
0: Mm
6: -hmm. Uh, The same kind of program. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. The motion capture. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, okay. 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 Uh well mm-hmm. I I don't know in this particular version uh I the the two things that I think made the biggest impact for me somebody's already mentioned the sound I mean just when the music started at the beginning I was like holy smokes this is a totally different experience um <laughs> it, it really did yeah I mean I had it cranked up and I was ready to go and and it was it just blew me out of the water um it was interesting yeah. that the um that the you know the voice recording quality was as good as it could be, but you could still kind of Mm -hmm. hear that it's, it was less crisp than uh, let's say the, 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 you know, actual songs were that type of thing. But, um, but the the thing that's in more in your wheelhouse, I guess, is the way it looked. And I just, the, the colors and the contrast fixes and all of that stuff. I saw so many things that I have never seen in this movie before. And I've seen this movie, A lot. Like I've probably seen this movie at least mm-hmm. a dozen times, and um, and I'm kind of just I was in awe at the things that I was seeing for the first time.
6: Right. Well, that that was all there. All that information was there on the original negatives. They didn't they didn't have to do anything but, you know, bring it into the digital age and um, enhance it and make sure everything was balanced and uh, all that stuff has been sitting in there waiting. <laughs> to be Yeah,
2: that that balance I think is the great word for that because yeah, it just um, it just comes comes out of nowhere and you get you know if you I guess if I was to go back and look at the older versions I'd probably see more now that I've seen it uh, clearer mm-hmm. you know <laughs> I'd mm-hmm. probably be able to right. notice those things a little bit right. uh, better but. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know, I don't we've we've already taught, we were fortunate to have you on the show once before. I got to talk to you about uh animating Klingon photon torpedoes and all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah, right.
7: that's correct. <laughs> I,
2: I wanna make sure I give uh Charles a chance to ask you any questions too. So I'll go ahead and pass the baton Charles. Do you have anything uh you wanna sure. chat with Philo about?
0: Uh
2: he's pretty much
5: covered most of what I would come up with. It was just it was an interesting impression to see it now, <clears throat> compared to when our originally saw it.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: <clears throat> because as Eric would have probably seen it on VHS, Jim probably got a chance to see it on VHS or maybe TV. I remember actually sitting in the theater mm-hmm. for such a motion picture, and right. just seeing all of it back then. Right. And now we just add to it, make it even better.
6: Yes, it's pretty spectacular now.
5: Yes. Yeah, And whereas some people yeah. sit there and criticize the movie, it's like, I'm not criticizing the movie. Star Trek, the motion picture, brought us Star Trek, brought Star Trek back to it. Because I never got a chance to see the original series live. It was always on rerun. <laughs> Right. It was all was on repeat. This was really my first original Star Trek movie, or so. Right. Well, it was just,
0: know,
6: it's, wow. it's interesting. You're you're reminding me of something too, because um, when you get right down to it, the the motion picture is is uh, more comparable to something like 2001, not not just because yeah. Doug Trumbull was the supervisor on both films, but because it's hardcore science fiction
2: yeah it's hard that why it is why we had isaac yeah. on
6: the film with us yeah. as our consultant at the time and uh yeah well, and, uh, you know, and, and then the original compl- show is more action adventure
5: you know yeah yeah this is more serious sci-fi and some people complain about it but for me i love the beauty shots of the enterprise Yes, oh, yes, but yeah, that's through. But you get you get scores of views of the different mm-hmm. areas of the ship and just how big and immense it is. It's well,
0: that,
5: you that, just was, really did.
6: that was threefold, too, when we did that, because, number one, it was showing Kirk how beautiful the ship was now, and they were allowing him to see it for the first time in its redressed form. Secondly, it was for the fans of the show, so they could see how beautiful it was now. Thirdly, it was to establish scale, so when you see it later against uh, the V'ger, especially that down shot I mentioned earlier, uh, you see how massive this thing really is compared with the Enterprise. And uh, it actually is chilling to me even now when I see that shot.
5: Just, it's definitely I, impressive I have really got a chance to see it before But just the look On Kirk's eyes As he's looking at this shit Right
0: and I know Did when you he know filmed
5: this? it He probably wasn't He couldn't even imagine what he was looking at But just the look right. He gives it all oh, How incredibly Immense yeah. this it ship Requires
6: is. good acting Yeah <laughs> Did you notice the the reflection on the on the uh, I guess you can call it windshield of, of the ship on um, that one approach, that was added in uh, as a, a new enhancement. I love that
0: shot. Wow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, it's interesting Happy I was I was noticing that with the with the now I didn't see it in four K, but just seeing it in H D and kind of seeing it with all every all the balance and everything corrected, e, some mm-hmm. of those composite shots you were talking about, like the one at the San Francisco airport that it contain all of those different kind of overlays, you can almost yeah. see the lines between the overlays better now than you could back when the resolution was a little worse <laughs> because Bart, the resolution Bart. has gotten so much better but now. You it, it cured a lot of terrible
6: traveling mats that we had made. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, usually the models make their own, we would shoot them in such a way they would make their own mats. Mm. You know, they, they would be reversed so that, the, that there would be a black area around the shape of the ship, whatever it happened to be. And, um, our ink and paint department had to blob out uh, any dust or anything that came through and we'd have to actually blob on the film itself with a black paint to paint out anything that shouldn't be there. And uh, what drove me crazy originally was even at the wrap party
0: when we had our screening there, uh,
6: that shot of the shuttle descending at the back of the saucer there, that the tour around yeah. the ship sequence, it, it jitters around. Well, that's practically gone now because of the uh, rescan. It, it uh, oh. they were able to just uh, um, you know get the nice clean thing there because in those days you you ran things through the optical printer and, and any number of things could go wrong. You could get um, a line that appeared an inch thick around some things. <laughs> that you were, were matting in. So, uh, in fact, if we didn't have uh, those little films and things that were you know, projected into the back of the set for the um, computer screens, done in time for the shoot, then they had to put a blue panel up there and we would have to um, optically put it in later. So you can tell the difference between some of these screens that uh, were actually shot on the set, and the matted in ones because you can see still a mat line no matter what we tried to do. You can still see a a heavy line around some of those.
1: (laughs) You can tell which ones
6: were done before and after.
4: (laughs) Wow. I'm not sure um, if Paul, Paul, can, are you there yet? Can you hear us? Paul? I still can't connect to Paul.
2: Yeah, I don't think he's, uh, his, his, System's not working. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what's going on.
4: I can't get him on. I don't know if David is with us either. David, are you there? Uh, did you have a question for Philo?
7: Um, I was just curious. Like, did you work on any of the other uh, Star Trek movies, like Jurassic Con or anything?
6: No, I I went right into uh, Secret of Mim at uh, Don Bluth after after the film. Uh, was done and oddly enough uh, I was one of the people that recommended Jerry Goldsmith to write our score for Nimmels (laughs) (laughs) and uh, my new friend Don Moore who I'd met and my other friend Merlin Ching they ended up at Don Bluth with me too and the three of us probably would have gone on to do Blade Runner uh, Mm -hmm. with Trumbull after, after Star Trek had we stayed so that's kind of interesting but uh no, but I, I certainly did enjoy those films and uh, the effects just got better and better uh for Star Trek. From then
4: on. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh Louise, did you uh did you wanna say anything to uh to Philo?
3: No, Philo, I just uh after you visit sets and actually work in films, um, I've done a lot of background work out here, and we call it Tamaulipu out in near Albuquerque. It's a oh, whole package. It, it isn't just the actors; it's the artists. It's people like you who have the creative genius to come up with these fantastic worlds, these fantastic visions. And it, you, you, you really come to know that it's more than just you know this actor or that actor. It's everybody it's everybody. And
0: oh, thank yes. you
3: for everything that you've done. I, I enjoyed the secret of very much. And um like I, like I mentioned to uh, to Jim, because of our electrical problems in the mountains, I live in the East Mountains, east of Albuquerque. Um we've had right. some nice uh haboobs and winds go through the last couple of days. Tonight I'm going to try to see the rest of the movie, but oh, I, I can't good. even begin to tell you how impressed and I know it's not just me. I know it's everybody, you know, because it, it is—it's uh, a work of art. It stands up on its own. Um, the scene where Captain Cook and Scotty go around the ship—I—I I, I cry when I see it because it's just beautiful, you know. <laughs> oh,
6: me too. I—I I just love that sequence. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But um, thank you so much. I mean, goodness gracious, here you work. Well, working in the Marina, though, isn't that bad because that's really pretty, but at the same time oh, here you beautiful. are you have to yeah. sleep in a sleeping bag, you know, and 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 and, and look what you've come out with. You come out with something that's it's like a, a master's painting, only it this this is a collaboration of so many people, and then the complete product is is brilliant.
6: Well, thank you. It was it was a joy to make it. That's for sure. Yeah. You know,
3: it's, uh, it's um, uh, something that doesn't happen very often. I don't think a lot of people thought that we would ever be able to, to get the uh, interest up so that uh, they would okay such a such a, an enterprise, so to speak. But um, from what I've seen, <laughs> I only have a 1080p as well. So I, I'd imagine in 4K it's going to just blow you away. But um, we're going to plan oh, yeah. on seeing... The fathom event hopefully it'll be on our we have a couple of iMAxs actually out here, and uh want to see it in iMAx but um that that's gonna be probably one of the last opportunities that we're all gonna have to see it on a big screen you know a huge screen right right but that's it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be fun um I have some some friends that you know i'm gonna call to see if we all want to go over there together. Have not been in a theater since the covid um so you know I'm gonna not wear a hazmat suit, but I always wear a mask anyway
6: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i I can't remember the last film I saw you know actually in a theater. I think it might have been Godzilla versus
3: King Kong so yeah, mm. yeah, you know, you know. that would have been neat that would have been a good one to see that
6: it could have been ryan Snyder's remake of his Previous hero film. Oh. Zack you
2: know, Snyder. Yeah. You know. Justice League one.
6: Yes. Yes, that's the one. And uh, that was interesting because it was full frame. You know, it was Academy oh. uh, aperture. It was a, a square, you know, mm-hmm. image. It wasn't like Star Trek with a huge screen. You know, yeah. But I'm going to be retiring uh, to Albuquerque. <laughs> what
3: happened to Albuquerque? I'm going to be living in Albuquerque.
6: Yeah, I, I lived there for two years with my mom while I was finishing high school. And
3: I'm oh planning to go back there
6: now that I'm retiring.
3: <laughs> oh, what school did you go to?
6: I went to Manzano High School.
3: I know where that is. <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah, that's my school. I loved wow. it. I love well, living there. We're out here I in Edgewood,
3: unless you know where yeah. Edgewood
6: is. Where... Oh, yeah, sure, sure I do. Um, my friends are in Northeast Albuquerque now. They just settled there from Seattle. Yeah, it's you know. wonderful. And of here. course, all my high we... school friends are still there. <laughs>
3: <Aww. laughs> oh. You no, know, we moved ourselves from Ohio and we had to rent, a, let's see, we rented a three Penske trucks. We had friends driving in like a caravan. Uh, My husband, uh, my husband, John was a semi-professional model maker. He had 10,000 models. I kid you not. And he always would buy one to keep, you buy one to build and you buy one to sell. Oh, so we, we have a much larger house, um, than our, than our farm, uh, that we had in Ohio. But, um, yeah, he's, uh, made some pretty good ones that have been in uh, Wonderfest in Japan, and he also did some for the Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. It's, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's something. The, the models, if we didn't have the ability or if the artists like yourselves didn't have the ability to come up with these wonderful ideas, think of how much less it would be. I mean, you might as well take paper cutouts, you know. And right.
6: <laughs> Right. Well, I know people view those too. <laughs> yeah. But
3: can I ask you something? What? what sure. Um,
6: if you know uh, if, which which version of the Enterprise is his favorite, is it is it the from the original series or was it the motion oh, picture
3: one? From my husband's point of view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reset.
6: Ah. Okay. Yeah, had a lot more going on, didn't it?
3: Oh, yeah. and um, Polar Lights has that new model that came out not too long ago.
6: Oh yes, yes, I have that one. It's still in the box, but I'm, I'm anxious yeah, so to get
3: it going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But so we were, we thought when I was out there, I watched him shoot uh, uh, the Wrath of Khan, and we were hoping he would be able to fly out because nobody had, had met him, and um, but unfortunately he couldn't. But the time oh. I was able to spend on the motion picture and actually being a background person in it, that, you never forget it. And it's, it's it so, so many wonderful memories. And I already knew, um, most of the original tasks from being in conventions out along those lines, but, um, right. it was just so much fun. Yes,
6: yes, it certainly was.
3: Well, Philo, we've, uh, we
4: have to, uh, We're pretty much out of time. I have to take another quick break, and uh, then we got to talk with Louise about being an extra on Star Trek The Motion Picture. So um, Uh congratulations on the new 4K edition of Star Trek The Motion Picture. It looks fantastic. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us, and thank you so much for bringing Star Trek The Motion Picture to life for us. We really, really appreciate it.
6: Oh, well, we all love doing it, so thank you.
4: (laughs) And and you have a good night. Thanks for being with us. Thank
6: you. You do the same.
4: Yes. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We'll be right back after this quick message.
3: Hi, this is Jamie from Trek Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best sci-fi themed podcast. Our elite team of trek Spurts are here to discuss Star Trek and sci-fi themed content. Call 646-668-2433, Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Coast Time. We can't wait to hear from you. Live long and process.
4: okay and we're back and we're going to talk with louise right now and uh louise was an extra in star trek the motion picture if you guys saw all the pictures i posted on my facebook page then you know what i'm talking about and uh, she was also the president of the leonard nimoy fan club so welcome to the podcast louise
3: oh thank you first podcast i've done so <laughs> it's,
4: <laughs> it's pretty painless and easy like i told you on the it phone is. right it, it doesn't hurt. It is indeed. <laughs> and and, and Jim, we don't bite. He,
3: he he calls me, and I'm at the airport, so he can hear all the the uh, the sailplane, tow planes flying around.
4: <laughs> that was an interesting conversation.
3: Yeah. So, Louise, well, let me ask you: What was sure.
4: it like to be in Star Trek the motion picture when when Star Trek made the move from the small screen to the big screen? It must have been really exciting to be part
3: of that. Oh yeah, and I had the um, unique privilege of actually being on the set for the original series, and um, for an episode, season two, called The Apple. And happened to be in California, and because I did run a fan organization, I said, "Oh my gosh, you got to come over." And um, Leonard is wonderful; he really is. He's just as nice as as he appears to be, and um, it, you know, so many so many funny things have happened you know, over the years, and 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 he's just – he does really good practical jokes, I will say that. But um, went out there, and the first thing I noticed, the difference between the original series and, of course, the the motion picture was the original series, you could really do a great job in your garage building a a bridge or building a a corridor or the transporter room. But the motion picture – it's real. Everything works. I walked around there and I'm like, let me pinch myself. This is going to be amazing. And it was, it was, um, wow. And, and, um, I was very fortunate. You saw some of the photos. I've got some other ones that I still have to pull out that I'll send you copies of that. Um, I was able to take a lot of really, really super pictures, and it's because they trust me, and Leonard says something to the, the Robert Wise. He introduced me to him. And wonderful man, reminds me of my dad. And uh, he said, you know, she's going to take some photos that, you know, we we'll use, we'll use them in our club publication. And um, it wasn't a problem. And it was just uh, Teresa or Key, who was my very best friend and his assistant. She took some of the photos. And then Frank Da Vinci, who was his, Leonard stand-in, on a number of different things. He took some of them and um, it's funny, I, I used his photo lab. I drove over to the photo labs because I couldn't wait to see them. And I'm opening the door and um, J. Michael Glasser, he was one of Starsky and Hutch. I don't know which one he was. I think he was, was he Hutch?
4: He might have been, yeah. Okay.
3: Yep. He opens the door. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> This is cool. must have the stamp of approval, but I was so, so pleased, you know, when I got the pictures and, um, they've survived. Um, I don't know if I mentioned here a couple of floods. Um, and uh, because I always put them in archival plastic and then I put, put them in a great big airtight tub, kind of like people would put books in. So I've got all the original, uh, negatives and, um, you know everything that uh, that I got from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. The people in the wardrobe department were like, "Oh, they're they're amazing." They gave me samples of every single fabric that they used on every costume in the movie.
4: Wow. Now,
3: what what, what was, course- was it like
4: um, being fitted for your official Starfleet uniform?
3: So this is a big surprise. I didn't know this was going to happen until I got out there. And the first the first day I barely walked in and I said, Oh come on, we gotta fit you And I said, Okay, so picture that I sent you of the, the racks of the wardrobe uh for the movie, I basically said, Pick it go ahead and pick out what you want. Well, I've always liked jumpsuits and I back then I was a perfect size eight. So I picked I grabbed the the white jumpsuit, I took it in, I put it on, it fit like it was made for me, and um, all, they didn't really have to do any alterations, and Robert Fletcher came in, and he was such a nice gentleman. He, uh, he said, you know, he said, do you mind if I show you off? And I said, sure. He goes, well, one day, you know, this week or, you know, whenever we can get you there, if we want I want you to put you on the, in the uniform, and I want to show you because you're the way that these stumps are supposed to fit. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. So uh, he takes me upstairs uh, to, and it was right in in the Bronson Street gate. There was a wardrobe department. One of them was right there in the building to the right. And a gentleman that was playing one of the Vulcan elders in the very first scene that they filmed, a lot of it in the Yellowstone Park, he was getting fitted for his Vulcan outfit, which was so it's just so neat to see the process that was really cool and um what kind of gave me a uh a little my little heartbeat was i had outfit number one i was the very first background person that got fitted wow
4: that that's awesome that really is yeah. that and must have been exciting
3: it it was uh well we had we had we had so much fun i mean it was just uh Every minute you pinch yourself, you think this is really happening. First of all, this Star Trek is really happening, and I'm going to be a small part of it. But it, Jean's idea, and Susan Sackett, I don't know if you've ever had her on before. She is marvelous. Um, she's a good friend, and um, this was Jean's idea. So the night that they were going to pick the background people that they need, they asked if I would mind working. I said, oh, no, not at all. So I had my – they gave me like three different – uh, Star Trek the motion picture t-shirts and one of them said I work with Star Trek the motion picture um, and then um, they would walk people up from the, um, the Gower Street gate and they come into the uh, into the stage area and this was the Mork and Mindy stage they film Mork and Mindy there and they would ask everybody you know I've been hand out some papers this is what they want your hair to look like this is what they're looking for um, some people came in homemade costumes that looked wonderful, they, and that impressed Mr. White. He was very impressed with that. But basically they had to pick the people to fit the costumes that had already been done. And fortunately they didn't have any problems. You know, they found exactly who they were looking for. And then it was on uh, October, I think it was October 16th. It was a Monday. And uh, originally they had uh, told us it would be two days. But they worked a little bit later and got everything done. Um, at the end of the day, um, he says, "Okay, everybody is wrapped except the people in the balcony." And of course, Susan, Rosanna Tias who also worked in Gene's office, and I, everyone was sitting there, you know, clapping and yelling. And so they did. They did close-ups on us reacting to what we were seeing on the screen, and uh, didn't make the original cut. Didn't make the subsequent editions that came out later big rumor was oh you guys are going to have a couple of seconds of reaction time we're going to use those well they didn't so <laughs> but that's okay you know it, it's like i've done probably over 60 films and tv tv shows out here in uh, new mexico and my husband also has, he played a doctor in longmire they they recruited him uh, for a couple of episodes, but you have to have the attitude. You had a blast. You got to be a part of something special. You get a terrific meal from craft services. My gosh, you're getting paid to have fun. And if you're lucky when they show the finished product, you may see yourself, and that's a bonus.
4: Wow. That's that's awesome. Uh, yeah, but so, it, Eric, it was did you, do you have? Do you have a question?
2: Do you have anything you want to ask Louise, Eric? Well, gosh, Louise, I didn't realize you, you got 60 credits to your name. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. That's a, definitely a thing you like to do.
3: <laughs> well, um, it's, 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 it's the best part-time job in the world. And this is, it, it's becoming more and more. Of course, COVID put a, uh, a big break on it. And I've only worked a couple of times since COVID. Um, I have all my shots and everything, but, um, they um i did the um godless which was on netflix It was a western um i did that i worked every day for six weeks and the thing that's great is our little ranch is only about 30 30 to 40 minutes away from all the major western towns and longmire was just 30 i did 31 episodes from seasons two to six and a martinez played Jacob Nighthorse the Bad Guy and he was Seymour on in the Cowboys. He is a total fan. He loves Star Trek. It was uh but he it, it's just it's it's fun and you enjoy yourself and you know if you're reliable they call you all the time and I kind of kind of fit the uh the rancher, female rancher type and um of course on the on the shows where you're doing a period piece you know, they supply everything. But um the Buffalo the I'm sorry, Bonanza I keep calling it Buffalo Creek. Bonanza Creek set where that tragedy happened with Alec Baldwin.
0: hmm
3: I was um I have spent hours in that church doing different westerns, you yeah. mm. But but it's fun, but I'll tell you what, nothing beats the time I spent on Star Trek.
2: Well, Nothing. especially if you're if you're a Star Trek fan, and of course, as a Star Trek fan and co-host of a podcast, I always do my research, yep. and so uh, the first place we go is always Memory Alpha, and it says here in Memory Alpha mm-hmm. that you had some extra duties in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. It says handling of the stage phone and helping in the casting yep. of other fan extras. Tell us more about that.
3: That's, that yeah. That's that's the day that uh, or the evening when uh they they invited uh people to come in and, and try out um they asked me Robert uh Robert Weiss asked me if I would mind doing answering the phone and I said oh no problem at all and um which I did and it was uh, it was uh usually just somebody asking um, is everybody in yet or do you guys know how long you're going to be there and of course I didn't but um it it was cool and just um saw a couple of people that I actually know but um, it, for everybody, it was, Jane gave us a, a huge gift to stop Star Trek from the very beginning. But he gave us the gift of appreciating some of us were around from the very beginning. We wrote the letters and did the phone calls when it was going to be canceled and uh, saved it, you know, for another year. Um, you know, and knowing, knowing Leonard, um, he is... Not just talented, like I said, he is super nice. Um, every time he was in our neighborhood um, doing an appearance, after he fulfilled his obligation, we'd jump in my car and go back to the house. He loved to come and visit, saying, you know, he said, well, i love to be here because I can just be myself. And, you know, that was neat. I have some really neat pictures of him looking at his own ears. I have a yeah. pair of ears from the <laughs> TV show that uh, in a little Enterprise glass. I got a picture of him grinning and looking at that. And then he gave me a pair of ears on the set of Doctor's uh, Motion picture, which I think uh, Jim has a picture of me holding him in my hand.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. No. But it
3: was, um, it was so much fun. Um, and I remember uh, walking outside, and it was on – just right down that the, the studio road there from where the original show was filmed. And, of course, you can look up between the, the giant buildings and you're in front of the – they call them the elephant doors, the great big doors. You look up, there's the stars. And I'm thinking, this is uh, – let me pinch myself. I can't believe I'm here. Wow. You know, was, and, and most people don't know what this, but all of a sudden here comes um, you know, Leonard's green Mercedes. And he says, "Well, stand in front of the window so nobody sees me." And he was asking me, you know, "How you doing?" and "And, and uh, what, what's going on?" and all this. And um, you know, he had just finished for the day, and um, it, that was that was pretty cool. But he was uh, any day that I usually would like went to the studio just to watch. Uh, on the except, you know, when I was working, which was wonderful. But um, he <laughs> and him, they 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 made they made sure I had something to do every day. Um, Leonard was familiar with Greg, uh, the Garrison Ranch, and Garrison, and they raised Andalusian horses, and I've i always had a different breed, Arabian horses, but I'm horse nuts, and I went out with a trainer to his beautiful ranch in, in the valley, and got to see Legionario 3, who's like one of the number one stallions in the whole world, and, you know, spent the day out there, and then a producer friend of his hadn't been to Disneyland in years, and Every time I've gone to California, I try to go to Disneyland at least twice because Disney World is, is neat, but to me, Disneyland is more intimate. It's smaller, you know, and, and you know, th- th- we went to Disneyland, and we had just had a great time, and uh, it was just uh, one of the neatest months I ever spent anywhere <laughs> when I was out there. It was fantastic.
1: Wow.
2: Well, wow, uh, that is so cool to have uh, so many uh, experiences kind of stored up in your brain. Thank you for sharing some with us, Charles. Oh, yeah. Would you uh, would you like to ask uh, Louise any questions here? Uh,
5: no questions. It's just fascinating to hear a fan's perspective of Star Trek. We had uh, we had a guest from Discovery who start off as a fan, and just fascinating to hear their stories and their perspective of what goes on in the set. Mm-hmm. But I just Mary, incredible to see
3: what that stuff live going on. The Mary Wilson, I think she's is she's. I haven't seen. I'll I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen Discovery, but. Uh, She's, um, I think, Mary Wilson, she's the actress. She has really neat red curly hair.
4: Yeah, Mary Wiseman. Yeah, Mary Wiseman. Mary
3: Wiseman, I'm sorry. Well, she worked with me in a couple of Longmire episodes, and we ate lunch together, and I had no idea. Later on, she was going to be doing Star Trek, and I saw her. I said, good, you go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) She... she,
5: (laughs) She plays the character so she... called Chilly, and we've got a lot of jokes about being a lot of us being silly for Tilly. Yep. But she is she is a fabulous. Girl. And when she missed part of this part of season four, we mm. were just like, okay, she's got to come back. We're missing her. Yep. We missed in her on the studio, and she showed up in the finale.
1: And oh. she
5: is a
3: fabulous character. We love her to death. Good. Yeah. She in played fact, uh, Adam Bartley's uh, girlfriend, um J- Deputy Ferg in Longmire. In fact, her
5: husband's the her husband's been a guest on our show too and he was the one that used to be a trekkie who got to be play an actual character on in the in uh sec, er, so Jesus. And wow. he, he's a ball to talk to also with the stories he's got.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I like the uh the bloopers, the uh when everybody gets punchy after they've been working for twelve hours. Um, <laughs> came in uh right at the con uh came right from the airport and T's husband Richard, who's he's phenomenal. Um he worked as uh, one of the people that puts together the and actually develops the film for the uh, TV shows and movies. Um, He didn't know his way around the studio, but I I did fortunately. So we got over to the sound stage. They were still shooting. They were getting ready to shoot the scene when Spock's going to leave and he realizes he's got to have to do something because the Genesis device is going to blow up. Well, it was raining and storming and is everybody just? There's not too much they could do. They kind of gave up after a while because, in spite of the fact that that these wonderful historic sound stages have got great soundproofing, when you get thunder and lightning like this, there's nothing you can do. But but I, I enjoy seeing the outtakes. I know everybody does. But when you see yeah. them happen in front of you, <laughs> it's another thing. I imagine. Uh, what were
4: we? Let me. I have a question for you, Louise. We we know, obviously, mm-hmm. Star Trek, the motion
3: picture, but what's your favorite TOS episode? Um, well, I have a couple. I loved um, City on the Edge of Forever. And, oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and Harlan Ellison, I actually met him at a convention, you know, years later. I know it was 1975 at the New York Hilton, and I was a guest. And the, uh, the Funny story about that is they put, my room was right next to him and he's telling me, well, I type all night. And I'm like, oh no. And then, um, Michelle came in and I eventually ended up rooming with Michelle, but, um, he is, he, he was so talented and this was brilliant. I mean, he, he just took it to another level. And of course, um, the naked time. And um, This Side of Paradise, totally love that one. we get to see Spock, you know, with some emotion. Um, But, um, you know, each episode had something that you could pull out of it, and that's what made Star Trek so different. Because we had, like, at the time, we had, like, 3,000 members to the club. And that was back in the day when everything had to be mimeographed. Um, The joke in Animal House when they're sniffing the paper, (laughs) For the for the test, they have to get the mimeograph original out of the garbage to try to steal the answers. Um, well, I used the mimeograph, and I, I went through three of them and um, became an expert at, uh, you know, every year we did one edition in the yearbook where we had actual photographs. And I had a local printer who just, he charged me the minimum, and he was just so nice. But um, I think we had probably the best bunch of people that you would ever want from all over the world. And I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun and uh Leonard took a really active part in it. Um, if he was doing a play or something, you know, I had all kinds of stuff with me that wanted to show him that what he would like to see in it. And a lot of people don't know that he really did. Uh, yeah, I would send things to him and T, you know, would, um, If I had to send it to him and he was doing a movie somewhere else, she would get it to him.
2: He was just, he was
3: awesome. And, you know, losing him so soon. um, I can tell you when uh, a couple of times when he was still smoking and he didn't want to put the cigarettes in my ashtray because I've never smoked. And and I had my, my brand new 76 Mercury Cougar, which was, you know, really nice car. And he wanted to throw it out the window. I said, "Don't do that. You'll get a $350 fine." But um, he was just uh, so interested, and 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 just he cared. He really cared. He realized that um, in, including his talent, and which helped, you know, and he made Spock a, a real a real being. That uh, the people that enjoyed it uh, were important, and that's exactly how he felt.
4: Yeah, he was, a, he was a I'll mention, act.
5: I'll yep. mention a interesting scene that Picard just did. But do you remember in Star Trek 4, the punk on the bus? Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, he showed, up, he showed up on Picard. And oh, God. I was one of the <laughs> Like Yeah, glad to see him come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But that, that was just one. That was Leonard. Leonard Nimoy's assistant, who they yep. needed the spot. Yep. He stuck himself in there, and decades later,
3: he's back on the screen again because of that one character. Wow, That's 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 wonderful. And, and, and Star Trek IV was so was so <laughs> interesting. Is John and I were working with uh, Mako Films Underwater Cinematographers up in Toronto. And um, John was a a full-time wildlife artist. And uh, we had Nikon sent us to the Cayman Islands to do some shooting. And it was so nice to work for them because back then, I'm talking like in 84, 85, something like that we'd say, oh, you know, we really need a couple more days. Oh, no problem, just stay another week. <laughs> but um, we were we were doing the real whale thing when they were doing the movie about the whales.
4: <laughs> That's cool.
3: Yeah.
4: Well, Louise, uh, yep. I just I want to say thank you so, so, so very much uh, for hanging out and uh, Trek talking sure. with us tonight and for visiting with yep. Philo. And uh, yeah. I, I can't believe that I I ran into you on the internet from the picture of you and Mr. Spock. Yeah, that, that's my favorite picture.
3: That, you know, um, well, you know, I, I I I had my uniform on and Trace a uh, Teresa goes, wait a second, wait a second, and he had just gotten done with his makeup. He came out, he goes, puts his arms out, oh look at you, wow. <laughs> and then we yeah, the I, pictures
4: and I <laughs> I don't know where wonderful. I found that picture but I was looking for something to put up for Leonard on you know for commemorate him and I saw yeah. that picture mm-hmm. and that's a picture that I've never seen before I oh don't my know gosh. where I saw it but I saw it and I said I got to put that in the Facebook page which I did yep. and then yep. and then you responded to the picture and said hey that's mm-hmm. me And I was like, wow, that's you? Cool. And here we are talking on the podcast. That's how it happened. (laughs) Small world.
3: And I have more. I have more pictures that um, I just have to get them out. I have from the premiere, which I went to. And they had some funny stories about Doug Trumbull and John Dexter. The theater that the premiere was in was very old. And I happened to be in in the limousine with John Dexter and his family. And he was talking about how they had to kind of use – the joke, stone knives and bearskins, you know, to try to make yep. a sound system that would do justice to the premiere, which they did. Um, but um, I I will share those pictures with you as soon as I get them out. So I post them right. online. I will post them to you. And all right. Well, thank it. you. This was fun. You know, I, I don't have a problem talking to people. I love talking to people. So um, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. If there's anything else you know, you think I can do to, you know, uh, in a future, uh, one of your podcasts, um, just, you know, give me a call out here in the uh, beautiful land of enchantment. Absolutely.
4: We definitely will. Thank you so much once again, Louise, for hanging out and talking with us. We really thank appreciate you. it. And you all have right, a great night. You all
3: live long. Live live long and prosper.
4: (laughs) You too. Live long and prosper. Good night.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye.
4: All right, guys. Well, we're going to take another quick, uh, very quick break, but this is a very special one. You want to pay attention to this one. This is a world premiere that you're about to hear. And when we come back, we're going to do our Star Trek birthdays, and we're going to dive into Star Trek Picard, Fly Me to the Moon, which was directed by Jonathan Frakes. So sit back and enjoy this commercial break.
1: Burnham in her angel suit, she will never fail to leave her ship on a future trip to save the sphere they love. Saru was softly through and through, Burnham sure and true. The crew went all the way that day on a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. Time travel was very rough, and Burnham paid the cost. That day, Saroo saved the whole dog crew, but Discovery was lost. Discovery was lost. They splashed the ship right down, you see, in the 32nd century, with her, love, and, and Mr. Saroo. Oh, was a and Edmer? The Emperor, with the Doctor and Stanley said discovery. Here by of Discovery a Crew who's not all fine. They'll have to do the best they can to fit into this new time. Burnham and Captain Carew will do all that they can To take care of their crew you see and execute the plan. New races, worlds, relationships and new technology. Discovery was an ancient ship
4: As primitive as in me So turn up on each Thursday night Right here on your TV You never know what you will see Here on Discovery And we're back And uh, I gotta tell you the story about that You guys remember on Star Trek Discovery When Kovic makes a comment about a three hour tour And nobody knew what they were talking uh, about And, and uh, I was like, wow That's a good idea. So um, I sat down and came up with a Star Trek Discovery Gilligan's Island deal. Um, And I asked our very own Eric, who sang that song. Uh, I I sent him what I wrote, and uh, he tweaked it, changed it, and came up with that incredibly awesome song. So Thank you so much, Eric. I think it sounds even better live on the radio.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it sounded pretty good. That was really fun to make. Um, I I can't wait to play it over and over again so people can pick up on on all the lyrics because they were pretty clever.
4: (laughs) I I will play it. I will play it on every podcast from now on. Uh, I love it. I think you did a great job, and it's funny. I'm working on a video to go with it, too, which I'll post on our Facebook page. So thanks for putting that together, Eric. You bet. That was fun. Thanks, Jim. So we've got two things I want to talk about before we do our birthdays here. Uh, yeah, we're probably going to go over a little bit, but not too much here. First of all, you guys can call 323-634-5667. That's the Q hotline. I had mentioned this on last week's show, but I wanted to mention it again because I think it's such a cool thing. Uh, On Q's business card, that's the phone number that's on Q's business card. It's an actual living phone number. If you call it, you can get a message from Q. Now, for those of you who don't want to call it or don't have time to call it or are curious, I highly recommend you call it because it's something about doing it from your phone. But for those of you who don't want to do it from your phone, this is what you'll hear if you call Q's phone number.
1: You have reached the Q Continuum We are unable to get to the phone right now Because we are busy living in a plane of existence
6: Your feeble mortal minds Cannot possibly comprehend Furthermore, it's pointless To leave a message Because we of course already knew that you would call And we
4: simply do not care Have a nice day Isn't that great?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love that i love it it's perfect it's perfect uh and just his delivery is perfect because uh he's so apathetical to anything that uh human related so except except picard of course who fascinates him for some strange reason
4: right so if you guys want to hear that yourself on your own phone give that phone number a call it's totally legit and it's fun so I wanted to throw that out there. And one more p- quick bit of Star Trek news before we move on to our birthdays, and that is that Star Trek Picard season three, the final season of, of Star Trek Picard. Who's going to be on it, Charles? Tell us.
5: Oh, I got to run down the list. LeVar Burton's going to be there. Uh, Deanna is coming back. Beverly Crush is coming in. Riker will be back. worth coming in. We're getting the old crew back. Yes. In fact, if somebody somebody somebody's comment was we're having all good things to revisit.
4: Yes. And there's one name that's missing from that list and fans are already on it, and that's Will Wheaton. And uh
2: yes. people want be to a see surprise. him. It's got to be. I just I have faith that they're going to spring him on us and I think it's going to be amazing if they do.
4: Yeah, I think they're keeping him out on purpose. But it's going to be great. Um, We've already seen Riker and Troy and the Penthe is one of my favorite episodes. I mean, that brought a tear to my eye seeing them all back together again and then Riker saves the day at the end. Uh, Just phenomenal. (laughs) And Keeping that tone in mind, a lot of fans are already complaining that they don't want to see this be a TNG show and they don't want them to come in and, you know, just make an appearance for fan service. But based on how wonderfully well they wrote Nepenthe, I have no doubt in my mind that when they bring them back in season three, it's going to be just as meaningful as Nepenthe. I have total faith in what they're going to do. So, I'm looking very, very much forward to it. So I I wasn't going to do any news tonight, but that was big news, and I felt we had to throw in there. So we heard Eric's song. We heard Q. We talked about TNG. And now it's time for...
0: (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was not a clean on song
4: all right guys this is the part of the show where we do our star trek birthdays and for that we turn to eric and we always start out by remembering those members of our star trek family who unfortunately are no longer with us so take it away eric
2: yeah, Jim, this week we're remembering uh, six actors who have gone before us and who uh, influenced our Star Trek uh, world that we all know and love. Uh, the first one is Renda Ray Norman, or just normally known as Ray Norman. Um, she played the character of Penny Murok in TNG's most excellent episode, Tapestry. Uh, You'll remember that's the one uh, where Picard dies and kind of sees his alternate future if he didn't do the one thing that he should have done. And uh, and Penny Mirak is the, is the person who throws a drink in his face. Um, so uh, Ray Norman would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to her. We're also saying happy birthday to Bob Hoy, uh, who played the character of Sam, and he also got inside the costume and played the Horda itself in TOS's episode, Devil in the Dark. Uh, one of my personal favorites. Uh, that is just such a good episode, you guys. If you haven't seen it, you need to see that episode and uh, ignore the fact that the alien looks like a walking carpet because the meaning behind the episode is really amazing. And uh, both the character of Sam and the Horta itself uh, played by Bob Hoy are instrumental to that. So Bob would have had a birthday this week. We're also celebrating the life of Frank Gorshin Jr. uh, Who of course is super famous uh, in Star Trek context. Uh, He played commissioner Beale in TOS's episode, Let This Be Your Last Battlefield, also one of my favorite TOS episodes. He's the one that's black on the right side and white on the left side. Uh but I also uh know him of course from back in the day. We were just talking about this last week. Jim, what did I used to watch at three o'clock on reruns every single day that uh Frank Batman That's right. Same bad time.
4: Same bad channel
2: Yeah, that's right. Frank Gorshin Jr. played the Riddler on the original Batman series. And I have an unhealthy obsession with Adam West Batman, uh, but that's okay because uh, I just love it so much. Um, So Beale, uh, the Riddler, multi-talented actor, uh, Frank Gorshin Jr. would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to Nehemiah Persoff, who played the character of Toff in TNG's episode, The Most Toys. Uh, He's the, uh, you of course remember that episode. Uh, That's the one about data becoming somebody's commodity because they like to collect things. And uh, this particular character played by Nehemiah Persoff is the one who has a very elaborate um, kind of piece of gold that sort of wraps around his head. He's one of the many collectors that uh, is competing with one another at the beginning of that episode. So uh, happy birthday and remembrance is going out to Nehemiah Persoff. Uh, We're also saying happy birthday to actor Stanley Jones, uh, known in the TOS days as Cyrano Jones uh, in both the Trouble with Tribbles and, of course, in TAS, more trouble, more Tribbles. And uh, does he show up in the DS9 version? I can't remember. Uh, But Stanley Adams would have had a birthday this week. And then... um, Funny how few episodes she was actually in, uh, but had a massive uh, impact on the series. Grace Lee Whitney, who, of course, played Yeoman Janice Rand, uh, later Chief Doctor uh, Janice Rand, um, she would have had a birthday this week. Can you believe that she was only in eight TOS episodes but, of course, they brought her back later on. Um, she was in Voyager. She was in the motion picture. She was in Star Trek 3, 4, Star Trek 6. Uh, she was in that. So they kind of gave her um, a little bit more spotlight later on. But it's just funny to me that uh, for such a, like instrumental character that everybody knows and loves, that she was only in eight episodes right at the beginning. So uh, happy birthday to Janice Rand herself, uh, Grace Lee Whitney. And that is it for our remembrances this week. So, Charles, uh, who are we celebrating that is still with us this week?
5: Okay. Well, on my half of the birthday, we'll start off with Jessica Collins, who played Linus in Linus Paris in Boys Before and After. Alexander Enberg played Sir Rick in t ds episode Lower Deck, and then later came in as answered Vorik in Voice. Great to see that character come back in the Voyager. Mona Grun played Ensign Graham in t ds Identity Crisis. Damar
4: in DS9.
2: Love you, Damar.
4: Great character.
2: He's my favorite Kardashian. I just like I'll get on my soapbox about Casey Biggs cuz that character right there is so good.
4: You know, he had a great redemption arc. He he came in at first like a royal dink and you hated him. Yep. But but Drunk. then he worked he oh, he was awful, but he worked with he worked with Major Kira and he, they formed the rebellion and then he 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 turned that corner and became like, you know, the heroic character. He had a really good redemption arc. I really, really liked him. And then but they him. killed him, like so many characters. I oh, spoiler yeah. alert. Oh, you know? I <laughs> God.
2: You know, when I, it's yeah. the
4: kiss of death.
2: <laughs> but he was amazing. But he was amazing. He was. was I
4: liked, I liked yeah. Amar a lot. He was a great character.
5: <laughs> and one last birthday on my list is Sophia... Cutella, who played Jayla in Star Trek Beyond. A character we hope we get to see if we ever get any more JJ Universe movies.
7: I hope. It could happen. Um, it could.
5: Okay, and Jim, what about your half?
4: Well, I don't have a lot either, but I've got some good ones. We want to say happy birthday to Jana Marie Hupp, who played Ensign Pavic in TNG's Galaxy Child and Lieutenant Monroe in TNG's Disaster. I just watched that one last night, matter of fact. Oh, we want to say happy birthday to Tasia Falenza, who played Toshanik in TNG's Coming of Age. That was the Vulcan girl that beat out Wesley to join the Academy, which never made sense to me why they would only take one person. I, but that's a different conversation. But more interestingly, though, she was the computer voice of the USS Sinjau in Discovery Season 1. Now, that's an interesting fact um, mm-hmm. that I did not know. Yeah. But for those of you who follow the other franchise, uh, she uh, was the voice of Shock in Star Wars The Clone Wars, which is another pretty cool fact. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Alexandria Linden, who played Jamal in Enterprise the Enar. Notice I said Enar, not Anar. Good, job. Good she, job, Jim. She was the white, blind Andorian that flew the Romulan uh, bug Prototype. ship. Prototype, Prototype ship. yes. Yep. And she's the same race that Hemmer is going to be on Strange New Worlds. So that's
2: pretty and, cool. And our other Enar was Garib, and I did confirm with Paul, because I've been sending Paul a whole bunch of Enterprise episodes to watch lately, uh, that Shran actually does pronounce it Enar. So, Jim, it was yours and my memories that were off. They don't say Enar. Shran himself says Enar, so, uh, so we're all sorted.
4: I'm old and senile. I'm long in the tooth. It's just the lag tights. They do it to you.
2: Well, Absolutely. they they will do it to you with their shifty-shifty ways, which, by the way, uh, that, of course, trio of episodes was among uh, some that I forwarded to, to Paul to enjoy. And yes, those they're good. Light. <laughs> <There's Cira laughs> not <to> still like Titans. They're aren't it? <laughs> oh, boy.
0: Oh,
4: okay. And uh, we'd also like to say happy birthday to Judy McConnell, who played Yeoman Tankers in TOS' <laughs> Wolf in the Fold. And I always save the Klingons for last. And this is not a, I think this guy is more known for not being a Klingon, but he falls in that criteria because he played a Klingon. So I saved him for the end. We'd like to say happy birthday to Phil Morris. Most people will know as uh, Trainee Foster in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. He's the one that asked Captain Kirk, you know, if they're going to get a, a hero send-off when they return. And Captain Kirk says, well, this time we paid for the party with our dearest. That, that is him. But wait, there's more. He also played uh, Remthaklan, DS9's Rem-taclan. Rocks and Shoals. That's an mm-hmm. episode that our very own Leslie Hoffman was in as well. And uh, but the big—the reason why I saved him for last is because he played Commander Thopak in DS9's looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. If you're looking for a really awesome Klingon slash Ferengi episode, (laughs) two things that should never go together like oil and water, my God, you've got to watch this one because it is phenomenal. It is so (laughs) funny. And for those of you who don't know, it's a play on the song Looking for Love in all the wrong places from the Urban Cowboy movie that John Travolta was in. And it's a great movie. I mean, it's so, a great
2: episode. So, so Jim, Commander I'm so going to get really, really weird and meta here about this guy real quickly. So, Phil Morris played both a Klingon and he played Ramada Khan In Star Trek Attack Wing, Ramada Khan has a card that when you discard him, he gives you plus two attack dice to all the attacks you make that round. The best weapon to use that with in Star Trek Attack Wing is torpedo fusillade, which of course is a Klingon weapon. So if you use Ramada Khan, who's the Jem'Hadar dude, same actor, with the Klingon weapon, you get an attack against all of your enemies in your forward arc at plus two dice each. It's just an amazing combo that I've used a hundred million times, and I just love that it features a character <laughs> or a, an actor who has played both a Klingon <laughs> and a Jem'Hadar. So uh, why don't
4: we take a second, speaking of Attack Wing, let's take this moment, Ooh. a segue really quick here. Uh, we're going to go over anyways, we knew that, so let's just get that out of the way.
2: Um, what's going on in the Attack Wing world? I hear there's some news. Uh, yeah, we've gotten some good news. Just this last week, uh, the WizKids did some announcing. Uh, we have got two new faction packs that for sure are coming down the line. Uh, I don't have it prepped here. It was either May or June. I can't remember the exact date. But uh but we're looking at it's a Romulan faction is it June? June. Okay. We're looking at a Romulan faction pack and we're looking at a Federation faction pack. So um, so that's pretty exciting because every time people say it's dead, it just comes right back. And uh and if you think about it, um we're actually approaching kind of a Kind of an anniversary here as I remember, I think a Star Trek attack wing started back in 2013. So next year uh, would be like the 10 year anniversary of the game. So that's kind of exciting too. And it's nice to know that they're still putting out content after 10 years.
4: Well, we've said this, we've said this in the past, and I'm going to say it again now because it's been such a long time since I said it in the past. But with the golden age of star trek and all the new shows it would behoove them to to put out stuff for strange new worlds we've yet to see anything for discovery they've got lower decks they've got prodigy they've got all these new star trek properties to pull from and what are they waiting for let's let's get the ball rolling you know Jim, take advantage you, of this weight on the same star page. Trek.
2: I should you literally know? be able to walk out and buy action figures of every single character on every single one of these shows at Walmart if I wanted to. Like, uh, yes, come on, people, produce them. We will buy them. We promise.
4: Yes, get get out there. Let's get some new Attack Wing. Let's get let's get Discovery. Let's get the Burnham. Let's get all these great let's get the Sinjao. Come on, get get some get some new Attack Wing content. Ride the wave. Star Wars oh, did it with X Wings miniatures and I think that WizKids needs to do it with this new wave of Star Trek. Take advantage would,
2: of the excitement. I would freak out if they did Discovery Attack Wing stuff. That would be amazing.
4: I mean look at Picard. They even got Picard. They could make the Lost Serena. They could I mean Ooh. there's so many things they could do. Come on, WizKids, if you're listening, come on. Come on. Please, please. So please. Uh, yeah, I just had to I had to throw that in there, that because you opened up the, the segue for Attack Wing, so I just had to I did, get and that in let's there. be
2: clear, we will be back uh, at reviewing Attack Wing content when it comes out, as we always have done throughout the years.
4: Absolutely. So listen, guys, we're going to take our, our final commercial break of the evening. When we come back, we're going to hear the fan scores for Star Trek Discovery's Flying Me to the Moon. I'm sorry, I got Discovery on the Brain. We're going to do the Picard fly me to the moon. We're going to hear what the fans thought about it, and then we're going to break down what we thought about it. So don't touch that dial. Trek talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 730 to 930, all hailing frequencies are open iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. And Eric, why don't you, well, actually, you know what we got to do uh, before we do that?
1: We got. Yes, do this. we
4: do. We, we definitely do. We got to do this through red alert
1: suffice to say full spoilers follow from here on out so if you
4: haven't watched the episode yet definitely
1: go check that out first before you watch all
4: right eric they've been warned go for it thanks i thanks, asked will. our fans i <laughs> will i asked our fans every week on our facebook page to score the episode on a score of one to ten with ten being the best and we round those scores up and we tabulate what our facebook fans thought about the episode these aren't critics these are just normal fans like you and me to see what they thought about it so eric what did our facebook fans have to say about fly me to the moon
2: well top fan mark Neustrom, who we definitely have heard from before said definitely a nine plus Lots of plot threads out there, but they seem to be coming together. Uh, Agnes slash BQ, we all know who BQ is, is a very interesting premise. Nice original series tie-in. Also loving Orla Brady's work this season. So thanks, Mark. Uh, Great comment. Uh, Rosalie Robinson said definitely a 10. I didn't want the episode to end. It was so good. The card is awesome this season. Top fan Sean Jr. said solid six again. Last two episodes were not that good, but – and that was all we got. Uh, So just a a hanging butt. (laughs) So thanks, Sean. Uh, Jeff DS said a seven for me. What Q is doing is very confusing for me. Um, I feel you, brother. I I don't know what's going on there. Uh, So thanks, Jeff uh juniper mendoza said a 10 and excited the endless possibilities after this on the plot of dr sung living another 400 years to picard's real time what Uh, frank musings gave it a five the scenes with spiner and delancey were overacted and hammy Uh, scott vela gave it an eight easter egg connection bothered me a bit top fan fred scott 10 of course Top fan Marco Petra Valentina Nuzzi gave it a 10. And Dan Marinello gave it an awesome 10. Great cliffhanger. Um, Jim, that brings us in at a fan score for this episode of Picard, which is 8.5, which is a very respectable score and yet significantly below uh, what we've been seeing over the last few weeks. Last week's episode uh, was a 9, everything else was in the mid nines for everybody. So 8.5 for fly me to the moon from the fans.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Episode one got a 9.5 episode two got a 9.4 episode three got 9.3 episode four got nine. And this one dipped to 8.5 still respectable by far, but it's just interesting how that, how those numbers play out. So, um, a couple of things that I want to talk about here. I really love the mission, the the play on the Mission Impossible theme song
3: uh, when <laughs> when
4: uh, when when Girardi uh, goes into the uh, uh, I don't know what you call the ball there, mm-hmm. and if you listen mm-hmm. to the song that the band is playing, it's dun 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 dun. And I said, oh my god, it's Mission Impossible. I loved it. Um, but I'm into music stuff, so I don't know if anyone else caught that, but it's a play on the Mission Impossible theme song. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I
7: never uh, got that um, weird.
4: Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Yep. I've watched it five times, and I hear it more each time <laughs> I, I play it. Um, I also really, I really, I cracked up when I heard Dr. Zoom, I presume, um, mm-hmm. when Q says that to him. Uh, so. And uh, Brent Spiner is playing Adam Soom, which is I forget I don't know, the seventh or eighth member of the Soom family that he's played. It's 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 a high number. I don't know the exact yeah, number, but
2: I've lost track, but it's a bunch. Played a lot of Soom's
4: uh lately. And Issa Briones plays Corey Soom, who's named after the goddess of the underworld. Dun dun dun. dun, dun. Now, I'm thinking to myself I said self, and I actually did say that. I said self. So, in season one of Picard, what did they call? What was what did the Romulans call Soji? What, what, what was the name that they called her? The she destroyer. The destroyer of worlds, the bringer of death. And what did what did Q say in that episode yep. about her? The yep. same exact wording, and that got yep. me to thinking about something. Um, and I don't know if, if this is, well, so World War III is supposed to have happened in the 90s when 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 Khan leaves the earth. Now, um, so they're in 2024, which means World War III should have already happened, but it has not. And I don't know if that's because of the timeline change or what, but it hasn't happened yet. What I'm thinking, what I'm wondering is this. In the future, we see a statue of Adam Soong holding up a globe, saying, "A human future is a safe future." Remember that scene in the very first episode, guys. So uh, I, yeah, I'm thinking that maybe what's going on here is that the um, Renee Picard thing is actually a blue herring, and that that's not what's going on here. What I'm thinking might be going on here <laughs> is that. Soon is so desperate to save his Daughter who obviously is a genetic Mutant to begin with Because when she asks about his mother she He's very coy with the mother So I think that Soji, I'm not Soji Corey, who's played by the same Actress, is actually the First of A genetically engineered Individual And because later on when he goes Before the court there and Leah Thompson Is on the, the the board she makes a reference to the fact that he's working on a military contract that's being funded um, you know the, that whole conversation and they yanked his funding because he was doing these experiments outside of the law I'm wondering if what we're going to see here is, is the actual beginning of the genetic wars
2: All right. Right there. so Jim so Jim um, I'm like kind of on board with you except. There's one flaw in your logic, but um, I'm not saying that it completely discredits everything because World War III in Star Trek does not happen in the 90s. So the, the, oh, the, eugenic Khan, the eugenic wars is what happens in the 90s, and those are the ones that Khan is involved with. World War III, which is actually the nuclear holocaust. Doesn't happen. It's actually uh, memory alpha listed from 2026 to 2053. So they actually list it uh, for almost 25, 26, 27 years. Uh, it's supposed to last. So remember uh, at encounter at Farpoint, when they have those soldiers that come in, that are kind of controlled by the drugs. Um, those are the guys from the mid 21st century who are from world war three. Um, now that being said, um it's very clear that um Sung is interested in curing his, his daughter's situation here. He gets a little taste of it from Q and then asks for more. The what I'm wondering is if this is actually gonna lead to like initial research that eventually down the line will lead to positronic research. Because I the first thing I thought of was that they weren't gonna cure her or genetically manipulate her, that they were gonna somehow find a way to build her a new body or something. I mean maybe we're maybe we're a couple hundred years too early for that, but I I do agree that there's a very strong connection there and, and I did notice that he referred to her as destroyer of worlds and I was like, What? That's something we've heard before.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the, they also mentioned this, you know, I think they want to try to tie everything together here. It would it would make perfect sense. To me, but again, I'm just spitballing. I'm throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, and I made that connection. And I thought, well, Hugh wouldn't say that if it wasn't relevant to the to something. So that's what got me thinking about that whole situation. And the other thing that that I was thinking about too was a connection to Star Trek Into Darkness when Khan gives the officer his blood well what did q give to date i mean to soon he gave him that little vial of blue liquid was that khan's super blood i <laughs> don't know i mean i i was we just thinking know. that I, we don't know but i was thinking that myself could that have been khan's super blood as well we don't know but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Q could be doing anything. Uh, but I'm just thinking to myself, you know, it could, it, because they want to try to tie all these things together and get people, you know, interested in thinking about things. I'm thinking maybe that was Q's superblood. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. But uh, the other thing that I is that they specifically mentioned Gary Seven and Assignment Earth. Yes. It would highly, <laughs> last week I told Called you it. guys
2: I thought that. <laughs> You know, yeah. We've been talking about Gary Seven for a few weeks now, and it was just very satisfying to see it come, like, actually come out in this episode that yes, yes, it's not Laris. I can't remember her character's name in this one, but yeah, she is. There you go. Yeah, uh, part of the supervisor talent. Yep, that's right. Uh, Just very satisfying.
4: Yeah, I I was like, wow, and and the, the fact that Picard called him out by name too he specifically said Gary seven and mm-hmm. I thought wow that make that's cut and dry <laughs> there you have it done. <laughs> yeah. so um, and the other thing that's cool about that too is um, it, it it cements TOS in the in the canon of what what fans refer to as new track because when when Tng first came out they made it a point you know they separated them. I mean, they went out of their way to do that until Spock shows up and then Scotty showed up. But for Picard to specifically mention a character from an episode like that, just there you go. It's the same universe. It's the same world. They know about him. Done. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, well, well the Jim, don't thing-
2: forget that the 137-year-old Bones does show up on the Enterprise in Encounter at Farpoint.
4: Oh, that's a great scene. I love that's <laughs> one of my favorites. And there's another there's another line in this episode that I love, and that's where Picard says, "That's no therapist, that's Q." And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I love it. You're a I
5: love it. A yeah.
4: I just I'm just like wow. But I, when I was watching that scene though, and I'm listening to the therapist, I'm thinking to myself. That sounds like Q. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and then when she when Talon turns the camera around and it is Q and Picard jumps up, that's no therapist, that's Q I was like, Wow, that's mm-hmm. classic. That's just absolute classic right there. So uh yeah. we've been talking about the Europa mission since episode two, I believe it was. For a while. Well now we know that Renee that Picard about that last week and um, is the one that goes on that mission, and she finds a sentient life form on Europa and brings it back to Earth. So we've been talking about Europa and what, what is the significance of it, and now we know. And Picard makes mention of his ancestors who were actually astronauts. This is the ancestor he talks about in his speech to Starfleet Academy. So we, we've come in a little bit of a circle with that, which is... Which I think it's awesome. Um, Yeah, so Jurati, the Borg Queen. We got to talk about this. Mm -hmm. We got to talk about this. Uh Now, I thought right from the episode one, I said, the Borg Queen that comes on the Stargazer has got to be a character that we know because the character is wearing a mask. The only reason why they would mask that character is so we wouldn't know who it is. And the only reason why we wouldn't know who it is is if it was a character we already knew. So I I still think that the Borg Queen that we see, and I think that my theory is confirmed by the way this episode ended. Now, I have not watched tonight's episode. I did that on purpose, okay? So I don't know (laughs) if tonight's episode proves me right or proves me wrong. I do not know. But the way the, the episode ended with with the Borg Queen touching the side of her head and injecting the nanites into her tells me, yeah, she's the new Borg Queen. What, what did you guys think?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, especially because last episode or two episodes ago, whenever it was, uh, when the Borg Queen was like, you've done something very dangerous. You've impressed me. That's when I knew Joradi was going down um yeah like she just uh she doesn't and the thing is is that the the brilliance of it which i think is um is a nice kind of lateral move over from first contact is that this board queen is using gerardi's um kind of emotional baggage against her right she keeps talking about how alone she is and and how she understands how she's alone and like she won't be alone if she allows this thing to happen and it's the same tactic she used with Data in First Contact, where she was like, I know you want to feel human, I can give you these emotions, I can blow on your skin and make your little hairs raise, you know. Um, so I, I think that it's a very consistent way to write this character, and I think it's kind of cool to show how, um, I mean, she's just so insidious, right? She, like, gets up into you and you don't even realize it's happening, and all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble, <coughs> But I think Duarte, I actually got a I, uh, I,
7: counter uh, idea of who that board queen is from the trailer from uh, season one, uh, the beginning of episode one. Um, I was actually thinking, what if it was Renee Picard? The only way I'm saying that is because her hair was longer in that trailer than Durati's hair. And I was like, you know, I mean, it could be seven, too. Either way, but I'm just saying. Either way, the the hair length is different.
4: No, well, I didn't and, notice that.
7: Uh, yeah, I was wondering maybe it might have been Renee Picard or Seven. So that's that's either one of my theories.
4: Well, I think you know, the the board ship that that we see, there, there's some time shenanigans going on here either way, because that board ship is. is the Borg in the future don't exist anymore, right? I mean, not, not that we know of, anyways. Huh? And what that, are you about? That, we know, that,
2: we know for sure there are Borg at least until the twenty ninth century. Well, um, in Picard,
4: the 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 Borg cube is just floating in space. It's it's a derelict.
2: Well, that's you know, one and, Borg and, cube that they that they recovered. It's not like there's one Borg cube in all of the universe. No, they there are some. No, well, I, I, I'm aware of like that.
4: There. I. I'm aware of that, but I mean by the way Voyager ended, it's it, I mean the, the board got pretty much destroyed when Voyager wiped out the Unimatrix Zero. I'm I'm I mean that's a pretty safe assumption. You know, uh they infected them with the antigen there. They destroyed mm-hmm. their transwarp conduits, they destroyed Unimatrix Zero, she killed the Queen. Um and so I mean, it's, I think it's if, if they are around, they're extremely weakened and not the threat they always were, you know, based on the last time we saw them. But, but either way, this particular ship that we see in episode one is not your classic board ship, and they are not your classic board. They're more like um, like the hue board that we saw in descent, I would say where they were individually connected. Wait, wasn't there an episode of Voyager where they were individually collected? Where yeah, here's an get interesting thing.
7: Um, if you guys had watched the episode of the Picard where the Borg Queen in that suit was talking, if you had the subtitles on, it actually said Legion was speaking, to saying it was lying. It wasn't saying the Borg or anything like that. Well, because so, could be I, I remember it was a- there was an
4: episode of, of Voyager where where people got yeah. assimilated, but when they well, got they, assimilated, they were still individuals in the collective or something, wasn't there?
2: Yeah, that was because the doctor gave them something that allowed them to maintain their individuality, so that they could go in and do the things they needed to do for the story. Yeah, but it was, it was oh, okay. It was, a, it was the doctor that allowed them to do that. Had like oh, okay. Yeah. So,
4: Because when they hear the message of the Borg, it's individual voices that are all talking at one time and not the classic, you know, one voice. So that tells me that these Borg, something different has happened to them.
2: Well, I mean, everybody's got to, like, the one thing that I think a lot of the folks online keep forgetting and keep getting, like, confused about is that we're not currently in the prime Star Trek timeline, right? So whatever, it, it's actually, <laughs> it's kind of like what Kovich said, you know, about species 10 C's, like whatever you think you know about 10 C, you don't know. Whatever we think we know about this universe, um, first of all, a lot of it hasn't happened. Like for example, time zero didn't happen. Right. Um, but uh, th- you shouldn't mix those things up because then who knows where the Borg are? Who knows how many Borg are in this timeline? Who knows whether or not the queen can actually um, connect? Because this queen is the queen that was supposedly the last Borg in this alternate future, and Picard, General Picard, was supposed to kill her. Um, didn't Seven
7: mention a couple of episodes ago that the Borg's queen herself was supposed to be, like, aware of the different dimensions and that there were several other types of uh, boards that were like in existence in a different timeline or
2: like uh, a different alternate universe in a sense. Board, yeah. The board queen has an awareness, kind of like Guinan does, of when a timeline piece of weirdness is happening, and that's why she was kind of freaking out. Remember when she's on the stage a couple episodes ago, and Picard's about to kill her, and. You know, before that, she had kind of gone through and sounded very confused because she was kind of getting all these signals from other time frames or whatever. So she definitely has a mm-hmm. temporal awareness.
4: Yeah, because uh, the, the, the Borg that show up in Stargazer, the prime universe, when Picard blows up the ship, that is the prime universe. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but those Borg are not in the prime universe. They're from somewhere else because of a a temporal... Well, there's a temporal
2: temporal thing because they could be from this this universe, but in the future. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that they come from the alternate future that we're in, right? I think you're probably right, Jim, but the, the reality is that we don't actually know because they could have come from a different time and or they could have come from a different universe.
4: Yeah, but my point is they're not... They're not. What's the word? They're not current Borg. I guess is the word I'm looking for. They're they're, no. they, they, say, they seem different. They have different they're outfits. Different yeah. yeah, yeah. They're a different Borg than the ones we're used to seeing. Whether that's from the future or from an alternate time or something, they're not. Upcoming from like sp- another franchise. You know, if they're wearing goatees, I would say they're Mirror universe Borg, but they're not. So, we'll have to. But yeah, I, I, I still, I, I think that it's that Girardi, I think, well, we'll see. I'll watch tonight's episode and then hopefully they explain it, but there's, there, there is that. And uh, yeah, we, we saw, we saw Worf's adopted family in this episode too, which was interesting. We saw Dr. Rojanko. He was sitting at the table next to Leah Thompson who played Dr. Diane oh, yeah. Warner when they, uh, and they told Soon, listen, we're pulling your money because you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff that we don't appreciate. Well, that was Leah Thompson, who directed the last two episodes. And to her left was Dr. Rojenko, who's one of Worf's adopted uh, relatives, which I thought was pretty cool. And the one other thing that I wanted to mention that I noticed, which I thought was not was different, was strange, is every Star Trek that we've ever seen. If you watch the credits at the end, it says, based on Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. Right? Every Star Trek says that. This episode does not. Did anyone notice what it says at the end of this episode? No. This episode says, based on Star Trek, the next generation.
2: Created oh, by yeah. Gene Roddenberry. Actually, the, all of the Picard episodes have said that at the end.
4: Oh, so I just, I I just noticed.
2: You just haven't missed. Yeah, you just missed it because I think it's because Picard is a TNG character, but they have said that.
4: Oh, I just uh, noticed it. I thought it was something. Yeah, different. it's pretty cool though. That they that they made that that denotion. All right, so you know those are all the points I wanted to make about the episode. Um, so, what did you guys think about it, what, what, David? One to ten. What do you think? Yeah.
7: <laughs> um well, there was actually something else I wanted to mention uh before we get into the uh trouble recording, but um uh the the whole idea of the uh Permanent plus mentioning the character coming back for season three, I think we forgot to mention a name which was Brent Spiner, who's going to be playing his role as data, I guess, since every other character is coming back. And I'm wondering yeah, you know, they mentioned about Elnor once they go back from um once they go back to the, the original timeline, they thought Elnor might become, you know, alive again or something. So I was wondering, is data coming back? Because no. if Brent Spiner's mentioned again. I don't know. No. I was just curious well, about that. <laughs> Brent Spiner
4: said he will never play Data again. Yeah. But that's a pretty wide yeah. statement. I no, he's not, gonna,
2: he's not going to play him again. He's not going to play... I I almost guarantee he's not going to play Data again and that if he appears, he's going to appear as one of his alternate characters. But I don't... I think he's... Like, Brent Spiner's been pretty clear on multiple, multiple occasions in this regard that he's not done with the franchise, but he's done playing Data. Um, so Did I, you I know would... Is
7: going to be done playing Data at the end of Fusion 3? But there's other... But there's
4: more data than data. There's lore and there's before. True. I don't know, man. Right? However,
7: on, I on mean, that I point, mean, I was th- wondering, since in the episode TNG, uh, the one where they're going to try and take data, remember Matic. Yep. What if he comes back as, like, as data or lore? What if he ends up giving himself up to some sort of scientist to go ahead and start making androids and then synthetics are legal again after the Mars attack
4: <laughs> well yeah I mean they are. They did They did lift the ban on synthetics so hmm. that could happen oh, yeah, that's, but uh, it was just if they're going back. to be doing if they're going to do a TNG uh, reunion and a final send off then Brent Spiner would have to play a version of of a of a a soon android because if he played one of the soon family it wouldn't be a tng reunion and send off because soon wasn't part of the crew so it would have to be it would have to be some a character we've already seen or a version of a character we've already seen
2: but we'll walk away. I'm to just see. saying, I'm just saying they would be doing data a huge disservice if they brought data back one more time because honestly, he got the send-off that he actually deserved in Picard season 1 and if they if they all of a sudden undo that, I literally will just Stop watching the show and be very upset about it because that would be dumb. <laughs> yes, that would be <laughs> I, very I dumb. Think,
7: I think it's going to be a version of lore of some sort, I have a feeling, because, you know, they're supposed to be brothers, so. Yeah, well, I they,
2: mean, they, lore is, they, well – yeah, we. I mean, we 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 probably shouldn't start getting into where Laura is right now because it's already six thirty seven. But uh, we're... yeah. <laughs> so well, what, I, Laura was I... already
7: taken apart. I thought at the beginning of season, uh, I mean, that's season one. Yeah, they mentioned that Laura was in the box. I'll take apart.
2: No, so... B four is in the box, not Laura. Yeah, B four is in the box.
4: Oh, uh, Okay. But well, you know, we'll have to wait and see. It's just it's, it's exciting news either way. Yeah. So
7: I was pretty excited. Anyways, uh about the my score. Um yeah, this episode is actually pretty interesting. Um I actually quite liked it quite a bit and um I I can't really remember so much about it, uh, but I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it. But uh yeah. I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna give this episode a eight point nine.
4: Eight point nine from David's fans gave it an eight point five, so that's quite respectable. How about you, Charles?
5: Um I think a couple of scenes kind of dragged on a little bit much. I think the board queen and the police officer I'm not sure I see how that really fit in at one point. I understand what she was trying, but I just don't understand how that kind of fit in. And I think the Soon family one being pulled a little too tight. So I'm going to go an 8 on this one. Good premise, but I think they better tie up some loose ends on it
4: to bring it back up. An 8. So you're a little bit below our fans of an 8.5. Still respectable, though so respectable. Eric, what about you? Uh
2: yeah, I think I'll uh I'll kind of stay up in the up and up. I've been a little bit lower on these last couple episodes um cuz I just don't think they're doing enough with this story. Um this one was a little more interesting, but still didn't I don't know, the most interesting thing to me is Gerardi and the board queen and there's just a lot more to come uh in that regard, so I'm I'm interested to see where that heads. So, I'll give this one yeah. I give it a seven point eight. It's pretty solid. Um, I really liked the 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 Gary Seven uh, you know supervisor stuff. So I really hope to get more of that. The seven point eight for now.
4: Yeah, and I think I think I'm right there with an. I think I'm going to go with an eight, I, which is disappointing because Frakes did this episode, and so far every episode Frakes has done has always been, you know, a home run right out of the park, but not this one. I do want to I say one thing though. Yeah, I noticed. I don't know if you guys noticed. Did anybody ever watch this show on HBO called True Blood? Did anybody watch that? No, maybe. No. No, well, True Blood uh, was 12 episodes. It was a vampire thing. And True Blood always, every episode ends on a cliffhanger. Every single time. It's like, why do you do that? Like, I'm not going to come back next week. And I've noticed that this season of Picard has pretty much played that way. I mean, we know that it's a whole story arc, but it seems that every episode ends on a dun 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 dun, and yeah. it ends. And I don't know why they they feel the need to do that. I you know, I don't know. I mean, she gets you know the board queen touches her face and she gets assimilated. The end. Rios gets gets arrested and he drives away on the bus. The end. They go to rescue him. They find the boss. The end. I mean, it, it, they keep ending it. Right on a cliffhanger, and I, and they don't have to do that. It's like, am I not going to come back? Are you not going to come back next week? If they don't give you a cliffhanger, I don't know
7: what their thinking is for doing that.
4: It just struck me as strange. It's
7: for people who aren't Star Trek fans and they just want to make it exciting, I don't know.
4: It could be, could be.
7: Well, anyways, guys, that wraps up
4: our show for tonight. We went a little over, but I thought we were going to. Um, I want to take this opportunity to say I'm sorry that Paul couldn't, couldn't make it because I'm sure he would have had some enlightening conversation to add to this discussion. So maybe next week we can get Paul on with us. And I want to send out some uh, kudos to our very own um, Shannon, who is out at Star Trek Las Vegas. I'm sorry, Star Trek Chicago yeah. right now. And she's been posting some awesome pictures. So I hope she's having a good time out there. And I can't wait to see the pictures. The pictures of the skulls looked really cool. I wish I was there to to see those in person. Um, So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I want to say thank you so much to Philo Barnhart for hanging out and sharing some of his stories with us about working on Star Trek, the motion picture. That was really awesome. And, of course, I also want to say thank you to Louise for sending me all those great pictures and sharing some of her stories with us about star trek and her involvement with that and that was awesome and of course i gotta say thank you thank you so so much to david for calling in and trek talking with us thank you so much david
7: yeah it's been good it's been really fun
4: and i also gotta say thank you to our very own charles for hanging out and trek talking with us thank you charles
7: always fun lots of trek
2: right now to discuss
4: trek talking thursday and, of course, thank you so You're much welcome. to Eric for hanging out in Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric.
2: Uh, thank goodness for you guys, because otherwise I'd just be talking to myself. And who wants to hear that, right? Nobody. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm, I'm your most excellent host,
4: Uncle Jim. And uh, there's one thing I want to let you guys know before we sign off. Next week we're going to have Dorothy Bullock Erickson, who is the key specialty costumer on Star Trek Picard. She worked on The Borg Queen, amongst many other things. And she's going to be here with us next week talking about what it was like to design The Borg Queen and working on The Borg Queen. So if you guys are into Borg Queens, you definitely want to tune in next week. Uh, She also worked on all the Marvel movies. She worked on Planet of the Apes. She worked on Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, She's run The Gambit and worked on costumes and all kinds of movies that I'm sure we've all seen. So you guys want to make sure you tune in next week for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So without any further ado, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please, everybody, be safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody.
2: Night, y'all. Night.
5: Good morning, Let's see
4: what's out there.
0: Engage.